0: Sickness. Isaiah 53. Go back to Isaiah 53. Verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs. Now, the majority of translations will say griefs, okay? But if you go into the Hebrew, and even in some of the Bibles, there will be a mark by the word griefs, and if you go at the side, it will mention sickness. Okay? Surely he has borne our griefs. The word griefs literally in Hebrew is. Sickness. Koli. Write it down. C-H-O-L-I. Koli. It means sickness. It's a word used only for sickness. In the German Bible, this is translated as sickness. Alright, so it is sickness. He has borne a sickness. The Bible is clear. The manuscripts, original Hebrew manuscripts say sickness. When the Bible is translated by men, sometimes men translate according to their theological belief. They can't believe that Jesus took our sickness because they see, I can't see people getting healed. So, according to their experience or lack of experience, they define the Bible. See, man does not define the Bible. The Bible should define us, okay? Understand that. All right. So, and carried our sorrows. The word sorrows is the Greek Hebrew word makob, M A K O B, makob. And it means pains, bodily pains. Job had a lot of makob, right? Job had a lot of pain in his body. Surely he has borne our sickness and carried our bodily pains. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. Da 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 da. Verse five. And by his stripes, or the word stripes means blows that entered in. By his wounds. We are healed. The word healed is used primarily for physical healing. Even when Peter quotes this in 1 Peter 2.24, he uses the Greek word for physical healing, not spiritual healing as many theologians say. All right? So, is sickness a curse of the law? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. So on the cross, Jesus took our sickness so that we are healed by his stripes. First Peter 2, 24, Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5. A divine exchange took place. Divine exchange. Divine exchange. Do you know that Garden was no sickness? God did not create sickness. Adam was never sick until they sinned. And that's how sickness came into the earth. Alright. Poverty. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. This will be dealt with more detail in your healing class so we'll just go ahead. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich yet for our sakes He became poor that we through His poverty might become what become? Look in your Bible. For you know. For you know. no, no, no. This is a knowledge you need to know. For you know. This is a knowledge important to understand grace. For you know. The grace of our Lord. The grace of our Lord. The grace of our Lord. The main characteristic of Christ is grace. That means what Jesus accomplished, achieved for us is called grace. The grace of our Lord. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though He was rich. Dwelling in eternal glory. Always having abundance. Yet for our sakes. Grace has a target. What's the target of grace? Us. The weak. The poor. The broken. The sick. Right? For our sakes. Jesus became. Poor. Amen. So that we. Through his poverty. So his poverty is what Jesus went through. Right? So that means what Jesus did. Right? See. So we prosper through the grace of Christ. The grace of Christ refers to what he did. What he sweated. What he paid for. Your father paid for your education. He sweated. He saved for your education. You get it free. But your father paid for it. Amen. So. Through his poverty. That means somebody was working. Grace is free. But somebody paid. If you don't see the connection between payment and free. You will take advantage of God's grace. And live a careless life. And that's what Paul says. Don't let the grace of God come in vain. You get it? Through his poverty. Through his poverty might become... Rich. The purpose of grace is to lift you up. is to enrich you. It's to empower you. If you say, I'm under grace, I believe in grace, but your life is not empowered, your life is not enriched, then you need to take a second look at how you're believing. Okay. Through his poverty. All right. When was Jesus poor? Tell me. And let's talk about abject poverty. Anyone here poor? Do you have a house over your head? Do you have food to eat every day? Do you have clothes to wear? Have you gone to school? Do you have some money in your bank account? Yes or no? You're better than 20% of the world. You're not poor. There's not a single one here poor according to the definition of the UN. You're not poor. I'm talking natural terms, not spiritually. There's not a single one here poor. You know what's abject poverty? Abject poverty is first no house. Abject poverty is what? No clothes. Anyone ever, ever have having gone through life with no clothes? You have to walk on the streets, huh? What's abject poverty? No food. Anyone ever had a day where you had no food? You have to go on a garbage bin. Anyone? None of you have experienced poverty. But Pastor Edmondson, we live in the village. Still, you don't have poverty. You just don't have what you want and that's why you think you're poor. What is abject poverty? Abject poverty is no water, no food, no clothes, no bed, no house, where you have nothing. Where did Jesus experience this? Huh? Galilee on the boat. No, when he wanted a boat, he could get a boat. When he wanted a donkey, it was available. When he needed money, it was available. Even the fish would bring money to him. So, when did Jesus experience abject poverty? On the cross, when he was naked. He hadn't drunk the whole night, remember? He was captured the whole day and the next day. He hadn't eaten, he hadn't slept. Abject physical poverty he experienced in the cross. Not only physical poverty, spiritual poverty. Not only that. Poverty of soul also. All his friends left him. He ran. He was all alone. Right? He experienced soul poverty, spirit poverty, and physical poverty. So that we, through his poverty, what he did might become Rich in spirit, rich in soul, and rich in provision. Hallelujah. That is called the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of our Lord is what He did. This is what He did so that you can have this. Hallelujah. Shame. What happened? Jesus took the iniquity of us all. Our shame came upon Jesus. Shame. He was insulted. He was spat upon. Insulted him. Right? He kept his mouth quiet. He did not answer back. He did not insult back. When people gossip about you, do you gossip back? Yes, pastor. Ten times more. (laughs) Double portion. (laughs) See, Jesus was insulted. He went through shame. He kept quiet. And then on the cross, he was hanging naked. Naked. He was naked. They were gambling for his clothes. And because he was naked, the Bible says that the women were actually sitting, standing far off. Look at Luke 23, verse 49. Luke 23, 49. All his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance... Watching these things. Women were standing at the distance. Maybe one reason was because he was naked on the cross. He took your shame. Shame, shame, shame. The devil wants to come and say, shame, shame, shame. He will make you do and then he will say shame. Right? He will give you sweet and he will take out your tooth. That's the devil. Anyone ever experienced shame in your life? Shame is powerful. It causes you to hang your head down, hide. People take their lives because of shame. This man in Assam, 70-year-old man, 60-year-old man. You see the story? Last week, he killed his own self because of a video that was released of him with a young girl. Committed Suicide. shame. Through shame, people take their own lives, right? We know that. Jesus took our shame so that we can share His, what? What's the opposite of shame? Come on, tell me. What? What's the opposite of shame? Glory. Glory. He shares His glory with us. Now, don't ever take the glory, but still He shares it with us. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Romans 8, verse 30. Are you there? Read out loud. Ah, are you justified? Then God has put his glory in you. You're accepted in Christ. You're blessed in Christ. You're more than a conqueror in Christ. You're loved in Christ. There's glory there. Okay? God shares his glory with us in Christ. Hallelujah. The chastisement for our peace. So, Jesus was punished so that we could have peace. Whenever you sin, you lose a peace, right? Because you feel like, ah, oh, I think I'll be punished for this. <laughs> yes or no? Yes. But Jesus was punished. The chastisement of our iniquities, our sins came on Jesus so that we will have what? Peace. So every time, you sin, First John chapter two. My little children, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, our Lord, our sacrifice, our High Priest. Why? When you remember Jesus, you remember He was punished for our peace. He was punished for our sins. So you should oh, thank you, Jesus, that even though I did wrong. I know I'll not be punished for this because I put my faith in you and I trust in you. I'm forgiven. I'm righteous. So you walk in peace. Says so as a young pastor, what happened was I was feeling inferior. At times I fell into sin. I felt like I was not doing enough. I was not good enough. So I confessed my sin. So I confessed my sin, but I have no peace. Because I ended up in works, the works of the law. I thought I'll be forgiven if I confess. I'll be forgiven by the quality of my forgiveness. So I have to really confess really, really well. And if I confess well, I have to go down deeper. I have to confess really well. Oh, I have to confess really 100% sincere. And if I was sincere, I have to confess again. And I have to make sure I cry. If I don't cry when I'm confessing, it was not perfect confession. Have you ever done that? Yes or no? Is there a lot of peace, abundance of peace in that mindset? No. Ah, so many people come for counseling because of disbelief. They feel like they've committed the unpardonable sin. They're just yielding to the feelings, they're not believing the gospel. Do you know how important it is for Christians to believe the gospel? Not only unbelievers. Actually, Christians need to believe more. Amen. Hallelujah. See, Jesus was bound. Go to Isaiah 53. Let me show you some more things. You can see so many places in scripture where there's this divine exchange. Jesus took our darkness because it was dark over him. Right, when he died, so that today we are in the light. Isaiah 53, are you there? Okay, look at verse seven. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Why did he not open his mouth? Have you ever experienced this? You're in school. And somebody did something wrong. Somebody went on the teacher's board and wrote something. And the teacher comes and says, it was you, right? What do you say? No, no, no. Right? When you know you're innocent, what happens? Your mouth is? Come tell me. Huh? Open, Right? How? How can you accuse me? No, we didn't did. And we start actually talking louder than the teacher also. Yes or no? When you know you're innocent, you your mouth is not silenced. But when you know you're guilty, what happens? Huh? You keep shut. See, Jesus kept shut. But he is innocent. He has done no wrong. He did not answer back Pilate. He did not answer back the high priest. He just kept quiet. Why? He was taking your guilt. So that you today, you should never keep shut. Even though you're guilty. (laughs) The righteous are as bold as a lion. The Bible says. The spirit of faith is believe and therefore speak. Believe and speak. Why should you speak so boldly? Because Jesus kept quiet for you so that you can open your mouth. Jesus gives you the authority to speak. Open your mouth. Amen. Hallelujah. Look at the next. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as sheep before his shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. So he went into prison like a criminal. He was bound in chains. Why? Why? You see, everything he did, he did for us. He was born in chains. You know why? So that today you are free. Free in Christ. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. He whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Come on, say, I'm free from sin. I'm free from guilt. I'm free from the power of darkness. I'm free from every addiction. You're free. Amen. Hallelujah. The Bible says when Jesus was on the cross, He hung His head and He died. You know why? So that today you can hang your head up high. The heavens over Him became dark. So that over you today, the heavens are open. And the Holy Spirit descends. Jesus took the crown off thorns on his head. Right? What does those thorns represent? Oppressive thoughts, disturbing thoughts that cause you to lose your mind, depression. Today we have the mind of Christ. Amen. If you're born again, you have the mind of Christ. God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound. Sound, sound, sound! Take the helmet off. Ah, Jesus took the helmet off. Torments, so that today you have the helmet of salvation that will keep your mind in peace. See, Jesus did everything for us. Jesus took the vinegar in his mouth, right? Some gospel he says he spat it out, and some gospel he says he put it in his mouth. Some he rejected it, right? But vinegar. When you drink vinegar, what happens your teeth? When you eat sour things, what happens to your tooth? Huh? It becomes right. Your teeth are set on. That's what it says in English. Set on edge. All right. Now this is a reference to Jeremiah. No, Jeremiah, don't go there because I'm not giving you the scripture. You look at it yourself later. Jeremiah says, the father sinned. There was a saying in Israel because of the law. The father sinned and the children's teeth have been set on edge. You have you seen that in the Bible? Yes. Baba nimideh nimide They say that in Nagamis. Because of the father's sin, the children are suffering. This is a saying even in Israel. The father sinned and the children's teeth have become. Why? The effect of the father's sin has come on the children. But then, God is saying, but no more, he said that, okay, in the Bible, it's there in Ezekiel. No more will it be said, this proverb in Israel will be removed when the Messiah comes. That's what it says in the scripture. No more will it be said that the father sinned and the children are affected. Because everyone will be responsible for their own sins. And I will give them a new heart. A heart of flesh and not a heart of stone. That's what prophecy says. That's referring to the time of Jesus. So when Jesus was on the cross and he was drinking the vinegar, what was he taking? What was he taking on himself? The divine exchange. What was he taking? Huh? Your generational curses. He took it. All the heads your father took. Those from Nagaland. Your uncle took how many heads? Huh? All the curses they have come upon you because of a generational sense. It ended. It ended at a cross. And today, now you're in a new family. It's not a generational curse family. It's a generational blessing family. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You must use your faith. to Stand. There is no generational curse. There is. We are redeemed from generational curses. This teaching again in Nagaland. So prevalent. You have to confess your father's sin. Your mother's sin. Father's father's sin. Father's father's sin. Okay, 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 okay. How long? Oh, grandfather great-great-grandfather oh I don't know the names anymore as you're led by the spirit you break off every curse praying once, twice and then you don't look back anymore and you just walk ahead there's nothing wrong in that but you always go back anything wrong in your life generosity anything wrong in your life generosity, generosity you know. it is a bondage okay because we are redeemed can you say amen redeemed from the curse of the law, redeemed from generational curses. Hallelujah. So, the Lord laid on him, Jehovah, which is referring to Almighty God, laid on Jesus. Here, Jesus. Laid on Jesus. The iniquity of all of us. The evil, the punishment we deserve, laid on Jesus. So that The blessing that should have come on Jesus because he was perfect, righteous, he pleased the Father. The blessing that's on Jesus comes on who? Us, those who believe. That's a divine exchange. Hallelujah. So your faith must be aligned here. Who you are in Christ. What you have in Christ. What you can do in Christ. And you don't see yourself anymore as the old man. Old man. Look at Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Put off concerning your former conduct, the old man. Ah, So stop thinking like the old man. What does the old man think? The old man says, I am what I do. And if I do bad things, I'm bad. The old man says, I have a sin nature. The old man says, I'll be righteous by my own good works and because of my sins, I'm still a sinner. So the old man functions according to the works of the law. The old man functions in self-righteousness. And even after we're born again, our mind is not renewed, so we're still thinking, acting like the old man. We think that to deserve healing, we have to do good works. We think that to walk with God, we have to produce works that please Him. So we focus a lot on addressing. We focus a lot on our speech. We focus a lot on our behavior. Thinking that it will produce the grace of God. It will give us merit. It will give us righteousness before God. And it will cause us to inherit by our works the blessings of God. That's the old man. That's the old thinking. Are you following me? So Paul is saying here, put off the old thinking. Put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, the old creation, your old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. This old man is gone. But be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Romans chapter 12. Renew your mind. To what? You are not the sin nature anymore. You are forgiven of sins. And the sin nature is annihilated. It is gone. You have a new nature now. Can you say Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Your old husband is dead. Sin nature is dead. Amen. You are dead to the old husband. Now you have a new husband, Jesus. You have a new nature. So put on, verse 24. Put on the new man. Put on the new man which was created in God according which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Oh, put on the new man. The new man. Who's this new man? Come on, who's this new man? Jesus Jesus Christ. Created according to God. That means you are just like God. In your spirit, you have the nature of God. In righteousness, you have Christ's righteousness and holiness. You are holy inside, your nature is holy. If you have a holy tree, then what produce the fruit? Holiness. If you think you have a sin tree, what will you produce? Sense. Many Christians think they have a sin tree. They have a... That's the way we talk. Yeah, we are like this only. Do we say that? That's the old man. Old man, here, here. Your problem is a brain. We're not renewing our mind to this truth. We say things like, Ah, we are people only. What to do? We are sinners only. So many times people come up, and say, Oh, we're all sinners only, and We are all sinners. We're not sinners. We were sinners. But we are not sinners anymore. We have a new nature, we are new creation beings. Ken Hagen used to share this testimony with us how? He would be with his friends, his friends are drinking, fighting, and he just sits with them and he will tell them, I'm a new creation. And the moment he says, I'm a new creation, he would sense a power of God preserving his desires. And even his friends feeling like we should not tempt him too much. He declared, I'm a new creation. I don't do these things. An instructor of us would tell us how he would go to parties. In college days. And all the people are doing all the crazy things you see in American movies. Worse than that. But he would go to the parties and the first thing he would do is this. Hey, my name is Jim. I'm a Christian. I'm a new creation. That's how he introduced himself. And the moment he would say that, he's reminding himself of who he is. And the people also know. And it says it protected him from the temptations. Put on a new man. Here. How do you put on your clothes? You take off your old clothes, right? Go home and you take on the new clothes. Right? So, put off the old man. How? Old thoughts. Put on a new man. New thoughts. I'm a new creation. I'm righteous. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Don't be worried about results. Don't be worried about, oh, I went to this class and I... Believe I'm a new creation. I went out and I just feel like beating someone up. I think everything is wrong. It's not a true message. No. Don't be worried about result. Don't be focused on result. Don't get discouraged by no result, lack of result, good result. It doesn't affect you. Just believe the word. I'm the righteousness of God and Christ. That's it. Your focus is just to believe that and let the result take care because God will work on the inside. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Put on the new man. The key is your your belief, the renewing of the mind. Okay, now go to Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight. All right. How many times is the word spirit mentioned in Romans chapter seven? Good. I hope you didn't cheat. How many times is the word Spirit mentioned in Romans chapter 8? 21 or 22, depending on your translations. Alright? Okay. What a big change, huh? What is Romans chapter 7 talking about? Huh? The life of frustration where you're trying to keep the law. What does it do? It restricts the Spirit. Can you say it? When you're trying to serve God in your flesh, there's no spirit, there's no anointing, there's no grace. When you're trying to be holy by your flesh, there's no grace, there's no transformation. Because even transformation comes by the Holy Spirit. It's the regeneration power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Can you see it? Romans chapter 7 is a life of frustration. A life of discouragement. And here, the Spirit is mentioned just once. But here, Paul was not trying to say, I want to live as I want. I want to be sinful. I want to go and just be crazy. No. He wants to do good, right? And yet, no power. Because he's trying to do it by the works of the flesh, the works of the law. Oh, have you ever tried that? I tried to grow the church in my own power, the church didn't grow. I tried to grow my ministry in my own righteousness, the ministry did not grow. I tried to get people healed by my own power, they never got it. And then some of our friends also, they went, they taught us and then they you go to people sometimes Still sick. <laughs> Have you ever done that? Huh? The first deliverance I did was in a psalm. In a village. Where we shouted and screamed and prayed in tongues and spat on the floor. Born the devil for about two hours. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. You know why? Because we did it with no revelation of what Christ did. It was all the formula we learned. The formula is this. Use the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. Shout at the devil. Shout. We were doing the formula. We didn't have revelation of grace, Christ. Nothing happened. So people do healing like that. People don't get healed. When I answered grace and the love of God and the prayer for people, I see more results. Amazing results because it's God who heals. He just told me lay hands. My part is just to lay hands. That's it. His part is to supply the anointing, right? Our part is just to lay hands. What's so difficult to lay hands? Yet, if you ask believers to go and pray for the sick, ah, oh, they're like, wow, so "What will happen if they don't get healed? What will they think of me?" Right? See you think too much of yourself what does it bother what they think of you your job is not to lay hands your job is not to heal them but we think ah, if I lay hands nothing happens yeah it's not your kingdom don't be worried whether they get healed or not it's up to the Lord you do your faith you encourage them the best that way you can leave it to the Lord Amen. But you still have to lay hands. Right? So you work together with grace. Grace and faith must work together. Amen. Hallelujah. So, suddenly in chapter 8, we have 21 times the word spirit mentioned. What a difference. What is this showing? Romans chapter 8 is describing the victorious life of a man who has believed everything Paul said from Romans 3 onwards to where he says in Romans 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation. The moment you believe no condemnation. I am righteous, forgiven. Boom! Your gear goes into First gear and all the power in the engine of grace, vroom, your faith begins to run. In Romans chapter 7, you had the car, you're sitting in the car, and you on the car, broom, 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 but not going, car not going. What happened? Broom, 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 car is not moving. Pastor, something wrong. Then anything wrong, vroom, broom, but car is not moving. How many of you felt spiritual life was like that? Yes. All the power of salvation in us, but car is not moving. Because you forgot to put first gear. You got to put into gear. Putting into gear is called faith, believing. Romans 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no the moment you believe in what Christ has done, boom, your faith life kicks off. Your car begins to run. It describes the life of the spirit. Which is not possible. If you don't believe. In the gospel of grace. In the grace of God. See when you believe. In. Justification. Righteousness. Forgiveness. It releases your spirit. See seek God. they be bold. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Amen. In the Old Testament, you cannot be bold to run to the holy place. Why? Zap! will die. Remember Uzziah? He put his hand to stop the Ark of the Covenant from falling from the cart. And what happened? He died. That's why there was veils in the tabernacle. Coverings. So the Israelites cannot just go. Only the high priest once a year with blood, with all the garments of holiness and beauty, with blood can go in. So Israelites have no boldness to go to praise of God. But the moment Jesus died on the cross, what happened? The veil was torn in the temple of Solomon from bottom to top or from top to bottom? Talk to bother, meaning it was God who did it. Not man's work. It's not your righteousness that opens the way. It's God's grace that opens the way. Woo! So now you can run in and experience the life of the Spirit. That's why you see Spirit, 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 Spirit so many times. Alright? Now let's go look at it. Verse 4. Okay, let's start from verse 1. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who is in Christ Jesus? Those who are born again. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This was added on, but it also has meaning if you will just interpret it properly. Okay. Condemnation refers to declaring something unfit, judging it as useless. But if you are in Christ, God judges you as righteous. Verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You can go to your notes. It's on class 14 and you can follow there. All right? So, you're free from the law of sin and death because of your faith in Jesus and you have eternal life. Verse 3. For what the law could not do that it was weak. All right? The law of Moses could not make us righteous because of the weakness of the human flesh. So the law ended up condemning men. So God sent his own son as a man and judged sin in his flesh. Alright, look at verse 4. So that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Not by us. There's a very big difference between in us and by us. So God's not saying that now, like a lot of people will teach, God has saved you by grace so that you can keep the law. Have you heard this? God has saved us by grace, but we still have to keep the law. Have you heard that? See, the Bible says the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. In us means it's domiciled in us, in our nature. God sees us as having kept the law because Jesus kept the law. God sees us as righteous because Jesus is righteous. So it's fulfilled in us, right? Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So we're not people of the flesh. The word flesh here is referring to unbelievers. And the word spirit here is referring to believers. Alright? Write it down. Okay. In the flesh and after the flesh. In the spirit and after the spirit. You remember those phrases. If you are born again, you are in the spirit. You may not be walking by the spirit, but you are already in the spirit. You are in Christ. It's a positional truth. How many of you are in the Spirit? Can I see your hands? You're in the Spirit because you're in Christ. All right? If you are not born again, you are in the flesh. That's referring to your sinners, to a sinful state in Romans chapter 8. This is in Romans chapter 8. So, in speaks of your position in Christ or in the sin nature. After speaks about your experience, how you're pursuing these truths in your life. Look at Romans 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. How can you tell whether you're walking after the spirit or after the flesh? It's all about your thoughts. What's in your mind? Is your mind occupied with strife, fear, hatred, depression, negativity, poverty, your lack? You're only looking at your lack. You're looking at your sickness. Then you are walking after the flesh. You got it? If you're walking after the spirit, you'll be thinking about Spiritual truths. Did you get it? Remember Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. What you do with your mind is so important for this power to come up. Amen. Walking up the Spirit means you must be thinking about spiritual truths. Meditating on His Word, the truths of grace. Look at verse 6. For to be carnally minded, is very important. Now we're talking about the importance of your mind. To be carnally minded is death. What is death? Death is separation. What is death? Death is darkness. What is death? Death is absence of life. Is fear life or death? Huh? Death. Depression is life or death. Death. Amen. Yeah. See, carnally minded is death. What does it mean? If your mind is carnal, carnal means you're thinking of all the fleshly things, not on the truths. That means your mind is separated from the truths. So to be carnally minded is death means, even after you're born again, if your mind and thoughts are only after the flesh, anger, hate division. I don't like him. He said this. I hate him. Offense. What's going to happen? It's death. It separates you from the life of God and you experience depression, restlessness even though you are born again. Amen. But to be spiritually minded not talking about your nature. How many of you were born again 10 years back? I see your hands five years back. You're born again, right? In the past, but after you're born again, how many of you still restless, depressed, unhappy? Yes or no? Yes, you know why you have the life of God here, right? And yet you're not happy, yet you are depressed. Why, huh? Your faith, right? Your belief to be carnally minded is that, to be spiritually minded is life and. Peace. How in hearing this teaching, you have more peace in your heart? Can I see your hands? It has increased from last week to this week. More assurance. Yes. You know why? Because of this teaching that has gone into your mind. But after two months, you will forget. <laughs> yes. The human mind forgets. And that's why faith comes by hearing. hearing. You got to hear again and again and again and again. Because grace is so opposite to the ways of the world. You watch CNN, you won't get grace. You watch BBC, there's no grace there. There's no gospel. You watch anything in the world, Hollywood, Bollywood, there's no gospel. But the peace comes from the spiritual mind. That means you have to keep on feeding on the good. And that's why you need to go to church. Because it adjusts your brain. Are you following? Hallelujah. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. The carnal mind. Because of thinking opposite to the truth, your mind is an enemy towards God. For it is not subject to the law of God. The word law of God here means the word of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Talking about those who are sinners in the flesh. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. But look at verse 9. But you are not in the flesh. Turn to Never and say, you are not in the flesh. But in the Spirit. You're born again, right? If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. How many of you have the Spirit of God in you? You're in the Spirit. You're not in the flesh. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Will give life to your bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That means the power of the spirit can even come upon your body. Amen. Hallelujah. So, this is what you need to realize you are free. Say, I'm free. Say this. There's nothing in me that's making me defeated. There's nothing in me that makes me depressed. No outside circumstance can make me discouraged. My spirit, say, is always full of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit from here. You already have it. It's all about your mind, your choice. How do you respond to the circumstance? How do you get depressed? Because you let the circumstance affect your mind and you react with hopelessness. But in you, you have the Spirit of God. You're not an old sinner just trying to go through life in your own strength. You get it? Now look at verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are there just not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. So now, don't walk according to the flesh carnally. Right? Because you are in the Spirit. For if you live according to the flesh, you will... Now, this doesn't mean that you will die, as in eternal damnation in hell. But it also means you will die. You will experience the curse of the law. Right? Right? As a Christian, if you fight every day with your wife, will that marriage grow or will that marriage die? Die. As a Christian, if you gossip about your friends every day, will that relationship live or die? Die. So don't live according to the flesh. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. So now the life of the Spirit. The life of the Spirit is not possible unless you are knowing the grace of God. Jesus, when he was preaching, teaching, everywhere, people are getting healed, power of the Holy Spirit coming out of his life, right? Now, let me ask you this question. Did Jesus have any sin? Did he commit any sin? Was Jesus righteous? Did he know that he was a son? See, and that's why there was so much boldness out of his life. Because his relationship with God was not disturbed. He knew there was no sin. He had no sin. He knew he was righteous. Amen. That's why he could be controlled by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, moved by the Spirit. You see such freedom and power in Jesus' life and ministry. Amen. So, knowing you are forgiven, you are righteous, no condemnation is the foundation. Of a life of the Spirit. You can have the same life as Jesus. You know why? Are you forgiven of your sins? You have a relationship with Father God? Are you righteous? Yes. Yes. That means you are the same like Jesus. I'm not saying you are Jesus. But God identifies you as Christ, right? You are in Christ. Yes or no? That means now you are free to experience the life of the Spirit. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are? Come on, say me. They are? Sons of God. Everyone say sons. Sons. The word sons there is the word huyos. Write it down. H-U-I-O-S. H-U-I-O-S. Huyos. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. Who else? You know what Huyos means? Grown up. Mature. So, one of the signs of maturity is that you live a life controlled by the Spirit. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Verse 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Underline the word children. You know the word children there? What's the word? Children and sons. is the same, right? But in the Greek, these are two different words. The word children there is the word teknon. T-E-K-N-O-N. You know what it means? Technon what's the meaning of technon T E C N O N. technon means this that's what technon means you are just a little child who yours means you've grown mature ah so according to your belief of what paul said in the gospel believing that you're forgiven you are righteous no condemnation and you have a new nature and you walk by grace. That's what matures you. Maturity is not about how much you can pray, how much self-righteous works you have. No. Some people can have a lot of self-righteous works and still be very immature. See, the life of the Spirit is not possible unless you understand grace. You're establishing grace. Are you with me? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. See, let's go on. You can read all verse 18 onwards, but let me tell you the verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? When you know God gave his son for you, it gives you freedom to ask for other things. Amen. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? The word charge is who can accuse God's elect. Who are God's elect? Tell me. Huh? Believers, good. God's elect is you. Put your name there. can bring a charge against, what's your name? Subong. Write your name there, Subong. Who can bring a charge against? Atuno, right? Adeno. Put your name there. Adeno. What's your name, sister? Hmm? Limai. Limai. Who can put a charge against? Limai. Put your name there. Because you are chosen, elected of God. So who can charge you now? Don't look at this verse by itself. Look at Romans chapter 8 verse 1, Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 6. Who can charge you? Can anyone accuse you? Come on, give me your answer. No. Who? That's a challenge. Who can accuse you? What's the answer? Come on, tell the answer. It's written in the verse. Come on, read the full sentence. What is the word after elect? It is? God who? Ah! Who can accuse you when God has justified you? When the supreme judge of the universe has said, righteous, can anyone say guilty? No. Ah. See, these are such... Powerful proclamations of victory. You cannot come to this before you go to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. You cannot. You cannot come to this proud proclamation of truth until you go through chapter 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. You got it? Look at verse 34. Who is he who condemns? Can anyone condemn you? Huh? Can anyone judge you? What's the answer to Paul's question? Read the next sentence. It is, come on, say it. It is Christ who died. That means Christ was condemned. And furthermore is also reason who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. What does it mean? It means impossible. No one can condemn you. Why? Christ died for you. Christ rose from the dead forgiving you of all your sins. And Christ is now at the right hand of God. It's impossible for a believer to be condemned. Impossible. People saying they've committed the unpardonable sin. Believers are struggling. They are lying. They have been lied to by the devil. God has written this. God is saying, no one can... Bring a charge against you. I have justified you. No one can condemn you. My son died for you. It is impossible for any believer to be condemned by God. Do you see it? Can you see it? But if you don't believe the truth, what happens? We allow ourselves to be condemned through lies, right? What else? We allow people to condemn us because we make people greater than God. We want to hear the approval of men more than God. So even though God says you are righteous, you are blessed, you give more attention to what your parents say. Your society says. So society says you are not good enough to be good. You have to go and do PhD, get a double doctorate, and then you will be really... So you follow people and what God says. So you allow yourself to be condemned by people. And yes, if you commit crimes, the government will condemn you. Don't use this verse in the government court, okay? It will not work. If you commit crime, you will go to jail. This is not to be used in government. This is not to be used in business. This is in your faith walk with God. That gives you confidence to walk openly in society. But you still have to follow the rules of society. You follow, have to follow the laws of society, yes or no? Because if you don't, government will condemn you. And that's why it's important when we understand grace, we live holy lives, we live righteous lives, right? You can cheat your wife, cheat your friends, hundred times, two hundred times, and say, "Oh, God still loves me." It's okay, yeah, God loves you, but you you will have no friends. No one will trust you, and it's not the fault. Don't say, see, the Bible says, who shall charge me, who shall accuse me. Why are you all leaving me? They're leaving you because you are a serial cheater. God loves you, but people will not. Because you're not wise. To understand that there's a difference between this in your walk with God and also with people. And this is supposed to make you walk better with people. So don't do something wrong and then justify yourself by saying, but I'm righteous. You need a slap on your head. (laughs) Rules in school are still important. Rules in society are still important because we are living not in heaven. We are living on the earth where we have to make rules for the flesh of man. That means as a Bible school student, if you come early every time, you will be favored more than the ones who come it all the time. Oh, but but so how come? I'm more justified. Also. I will, yeah, you are justified before God, but not before me. I will judge you by your works, not by your faith. Oh, that means, no, no, no. You see, Jesus said, you will know them by your fruit. Oh, so I look at your fruit. Your fruit tells me what you believe. Do you get it? Amen. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril or sword. Why did Paul mention only these difficult things? Because these are the times when people doubt the love of God. These are the times when people feel God has left us. Covid time, Ah, God is judging the earth. So many Christians on Facebook and YouTube. Who shall separate? The boldness to say who shall separate comes from Romans 8 verse 1. There is no condemnation. Amen. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, the dark things mentioned in verse 35, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. But believing in his love for us makes us conquerors. We are warriors of love, champions of love, okay? His love for us makes us warriors. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the mountaintop, the mountaintop of the gospel. Romans chapter 8 is one of my favorite chapters. Because if you can see the gospel of grace as a mountain, the top of the mountain, the tip of Mount Everest is Romans chapter 8. And the tip of Romans chapter 8 is this verse. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a triumphant declaration. Not possible without Romans chapter 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Amen. So Paul is building up to this triumphant declaration. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So the love of God comes in. Grace initiated by love. Amen. So this talks about the life of the Spirit. The life of the Spirit is not possible without understanding. You are righteous. You are forgiven of your sins. You are not a sinner anymore. You are a new creation. Hallelujah. Believing these truths cause you to become mature, led by the Spirit, and you experience the life of the Spirit. Alright?
1: If you have been blessed through this podcast, we invite you to partner with us in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from Nagaland to the nations. We make all our series available for free, but it does cause us time, effort, and money to do. So the support of people such as you will enable us to to reach more people in more regions. Remember, when you give, the word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you, always having all sufficiency, all things, may have an abundance of every good work. If you would like to support our media ministry on a monthly basis or through a one-time gift, kindly write to us at faithharvestnagaland gmail.com and visit our website www.faitharvest.in and you can go to the giving section. You can also give through this UPI ID 700 at Paytm. God bless you and thank you so much for your generosity.